This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Well, Mike Miller is off this week. I'm Brian Kelly. And, you know, I talk about gardening a little bit off and on with Mike, but I am no expert. But we have an expert here with us this morning to take your calls at 436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. He is Aaron Lynn Vogel, and he oversees the Horticulture Answer Service at the Missouri Botanical Garden. So his job is to take questions from gardeners like you, and answer them. He does it every day. So now he's here to do it for us here on KMOX. And Aaron, how are you this morning? First off, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Doing very good this morning. Good. So uh, you've been taking calls from uh, people who are interested in trying to get their garden off to a good start this spring into the summer. What kind of things uh, are they talking about? So we've had a pretty cool start off to May here. So everything is a little bit behind schedule for a lot of people. Uh, but now with the hot weather, we do expect things to be getting forward uh, going forward. We've seen a lot of frost damage. Uh, frost damage takes a long time to heal, um, but now we're starting to see the defoliation from that that people are concerned about. But hopefully since uh, we're in the recovery phase of that after this defoliation, we should see the recovery. So no need to fret on a lot of frost damage right now. It should be on the upswing. Remember, as Mike always says, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So if you're your plants are looking a little slow. They're getting off to a kind of a slow start right now. Don't worry about it. Just be patient, huh? Yeah, exactly. Especially uh, Japanese maples, sycamores, and uh, crepe myrtles are all something that if they're a little bit behind, don't worry about those. Patience is the key at the moment. All right, 436-7900, the numbers to call. So, Aaron, tell us a little bit about your background. Again, you are currently the answer, hosting the answer service at the Missouri Botanical Garden. How did you wind up there? Yeah, so uh, anybody familiar with the service, uh, Chip Tynan uh, had been previously running it. He decided to retire this last year, so I transitioned over to taking over for him in March. Uh, previously for that, I've been at the garden since 2017 as an outdoor horticulturist over at the Kemperture Center. Um, and then I've kind of bopped around a little bit before then across Missouri, Michigan, and Florida. So I've got a good rounded knowledge of kind of uh, different corners of at least this half of the United States. Uh, but mostly I'm just a good old general plant nerd. Love reading about <laughs> all types and just getting in there and getting out in the garden. How did you get interested in gardening? 
Sheer dumb luck. I actually started off as a pre-nursing student in college and very quickly learned that I was probably going to hate my life after that. <laughs> um, and so I just kind of took a couple different classes, uh, ended up taking an intro to horticulture class and really just fell in love with the subject. Part of what I liked about nursing was the anatomy and physiology side of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, just kind of really being able to play in that aspect with plants. They're basically a big biological machine. And once you learn what all the levers and switches and buttons and things like that are and to push, you can really kind of make them dance to do whatever you want. And I just thought that that was the coolest thing in the world. So instead of healing people, you're healing plants now. Exactly. And if yeah. you, it's kind of one of those things retrospectively, I've realized that you can heal a lot of people with plants too. So it's one of those kind of full circle things for isn't, me. Isn't that the truth? You really can. And he interned at Disney at one point, he didn't dress up as Mickey Mouse, but uh, he did work down there. If we get a chance, we'll talk to him about that a little bit. But we have calls lined up already. People are, are ready to talk about plants, and here to answer your questions is Aaron Lynn Vogel. And the first one comes from Cheryl. Cheryl, good morning, and welcome to the Garden Hotline. Good morning. Um, I'm trying to keep my boxwoods in their neat little round shape. When can I trim them? So now is a great time to go ahead and start trimming them. Uh, one of the most important things is when you prune your boxwood, make sure that you're not only doing shearing, which is, you know, attacking it with the clippers to bring the size down, but also go in and do some thinning cuts. Uh, so that way boxwood have a tendency to get overly dense on the inside if you are just shearing them. So going inside and clipping out some of those uh, really crisscrossing or tangled places, the way that I think of it, if two branches are trying to grow in the same spot, you should clip one of those out. Uh, but by following up your shearing, which now is a great time to do that, with a little bit of thinning will keep your boxwoods healthier in the long run. Perfect. Thank you. All right, Cheryl, thank you very much for the call. We now go to Sandy. Sandy, you are on the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Aaron. Good morning. Um, I'm calling about my pin oak trees. Those, uh, I believe they're called galls that are on there. Uh, do they harm the tree, or is there any way to get rid of them? So the only way to remove those galls is by pruning them out. They're from a uh, tiny itty-bitty little wasp about the size of the gnat. They're no, darn, uh, no harm to people. They are just a harm to the plant. Uh, the wasps in and of themselves and those galls individually aren't really bad. Uh, but typically, if you're seeing a whole lot of them on the tree, that is a sign that it is a sick tree. Uh, I highly recommend getting a soil test done. Pin oaks prefer an acidic soil. Um, and just if your soil isn't quite acidic enough, a lot of the soils around here are limestone, so they don't have that acidity that they really like. Um, it can lead to nutrient deficiencies even if you're putting fertilizers down. pH impacts their ability to uptake those fertilizers regardless of how much they are in the soil. Uh, but so I would really highly recommend getting a soil test done to see if you need to modify the soil to improve the health of the tree in the long term. Uh, in the short term, some people do recommend uh, synthetic, or not synthetic, rather, uh, systemic insecticides to wipe out the population of wasps. However, I really do say that this is kind of like uh, being overweight, getting liposuction, and then never changing your diet. Those problems are still there, and they will come back if you just treat the symptom as opposed to the greater issue with the tree. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Sandy, and good luck with that. And we go to Carol now. Carol, you're on KMOX. We are at your service. Hello, Carol. Yes. You are on the air. Okay. I have a lilac bush that I, because of where it's planted, don't want it to get any larger. I don't know quite how to control it. I know you shouldn't just shear it or cut it, you know, trim it back. 
uh, how do I go about controlling the size of it? Yeah, so uh, when you're pruning, there are two types of uh, kind of main heading cuts is what they're called when you're trying to reduce the size. So when you're shearing is when you do a non-selective heading cut, you just kind of whack all around the outside of it. If you're really trying to keep it in good form, um, you want to do what is called a selective heading cut. So that's uh, dropping an individual branch rather than just cutting at a random spot to it, taking it by about one-third of the length of that branch, and then cutting to a specific bud. Because whatever bud you cut it back to is where it's going to grow out to next. If you just cut it into the middle of the stick, it is going to be growing from that next bud down anyways, and you'll just have a random dead stick. Uh, but so if you just kind of go through every branch, take it back by about one-third to a nice growing point from it, uh, that's the best way to control the overall size of the shrub. Okay, thank you very much. All right, Carol, thank you very much for the call. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. I'm Brian Kelly. I'm answering the phones for Aaron Lynn Vogel. Again, he oversees the Horticulture Answer Service at the Missouri Botanical Garden, and we will take your call coming up soon. Here on uh, KMOX, it is 814 on this Saturday morning. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Well, once again, Mike Miller is off today, and I am in. I'm Brian Kelly, but no, I'm not answering your questions. Aaron Lynn Vogel is doing that. He oversees the Horticulture Answer Service at the Missouri Botanical Garden, and as you can tell, he's uh, knows what he's talking about. No question about it. So give us a call at 436-7900-1800-925-1120, and Becky has done that, and Becky is on with Aaron right now. And Becky, uh, what's your question or comment, please? Um, yes, I was just wondering, we have, uh, we've been cutting our grass at three and a half inches length, and I was just wondering, should we, uh, it seems like that's still pretty long. Is, is there any rule for grass cutting when it starts getting hot to make it shorter? Or uh, Actually, it's better to keep it longer when it's hotter, uh, just to make sure, do you know what type of grass you have? Uh, um, bluegrass, I think it is. Okay, so if, uh... Most of the cool season lawns in our area are tall fescue, so uh, depending on... Oh, yeah, it's... that's what it is. Okay, that's yeah, so if, uh, tall fescue, three and a half inches is a great height to cut. Three and a half to four inches, actually, is what I recommend to most people. When you have that taller grass in the summer, it actually helps shade out the soil, uh, so you help conserve moisture. It also helps uh, beat out weeds by preventing light from getting down to them, uh, and it oh. also basically just kind of protects its own root zone. Uh, so, yep, three and a half to four inches is a fantastic height to be mowing at. Oh. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You're I'm sure, welcome. I'm sure whoever mows your lawn is glad to hear that, too. Yeah, really. Well, uh, <laughs> they do, and they've got it set on three and a half, and uh, we were just wondering if that was the right length for this heat coming up. Uh, perfect. Oh, good. All right. Thank Becky. you so much. Hey, thank you, Becky. Thanks for calling and listening to KMOX here this morning. Now, how do you think this heat, you know, we're going to be in the upper, right around 90, upper 80s. Is that going to be a concern, especially because it has been so cool and now it's going to kind of jump right to, to the hot stuff? Uh, for the most part, I think that this is going to be good for most plants out there. Uh, a lot of the summer plants or the warm season plants are called that because they prefer these hotter temperatures. Uh, some things will definitely struggle if you still have cabbages or those other cool season vegetables in the ground. Uh, it is going to be soon to cut the losses and just harvest whatever you have. A lot of those cool season vegetables tend to get more bitter, uh, especially things like broccoli and uh, uh, things in that class, lettuces. I'm um, going to can trigger flowering on a lot of those types of plants as well. If that's called bolting, and when they bolt, 
uh, that also just tends to have a negative impact on your flavor. Uh, that being said, any of those hot stuff like uh, tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, they will all absolutely be loving this. And we should also see many of the flowering plants in the landscape, uh, purple cone flowers, things like that, also really exploding here as well. Uh, do be sure if you have gotten lackadaisical on the watering, you probably will need to do some watering here soon, depending on what the weather is like. But uh, we should really spring into summer here as we wrap up the cooler temperatures. So we're growing a lot of lettuce. We have it's going great. Should we go ahead and pretty much get ready to harvest all of that? Uh, I would definitely keep an eye on it. Um, most plants start to get like the official temperature that triggers heat damage is above 85 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you only have one or two days uh, with those high temperatures, that's usually not enough to, you know, completely spoil them. Uh, that being said, if we're going to be consistently above 85, I would definitely be taking some tastes. And if it's good now, enjoy it while it's good, because that probably will not be lasting much longer. Now, we also have some mustard greens that I just love. I take a piece of that and a piece of the garlic, put it together, and that's my salad. Uh, that has started to flower, though. Is is Does that mean that mustard green is going to start getting bitter? Yes, it does. So that's uh, just kind of what most of those plants do. That's uh, That technical term is bolting when those mm -hmm. types of vegetables start to flower. But, yeah, typically um, some vegetables it's not worse to other. Mustard aren't the worst for having the negative impact on their flavor. But you will generally just see a little bit of a bitterness. That and on top of um, the bitterness, the cold temperatures just tend to make it sweeter on top of that. So you just don't get the highest quality flavor. Okay, very good. Now he's answered a couple of my questions. Let's uh, let Aaron answer Jane's question. Jane, you are on the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Hello, Aaron. I have an areca palm that is about two years old, and I have been bringing it in in the winter, and I take it out in the summer. And it has two stalks on it. One of the stalks was dead, and I cut it off. What should I do with the other stalk to encourage growth on it? Uh, if it's in a container, I would definitely look at the fertilizers that you're giving it to. Uh, I really like to do a dual mix of a slow-release granular fertilizer that I give for just kind of the general prolonged health. I put some on it when I first start summer. Uh, I use just like a triple 10 or a triple 13. Uh, Osmocote is a specific brand that I like to use. Um, and then at the beginning of the season, I also do like to give it a nice little whack with a quick release fertilizer to just kind of jumpstart that breaking out of those winter crummy conditions and really encourage that growth to start. Um, so any liquid feed like a miracle Grow or other similar mix it up, pour it in. Uh, will be a good way to give it a good start to the season, and then those granular fertilizers will kind of carry it out through the rest of the year. Uh, but, yep, putting it outside, when you first put it outside, make sure that it is in a shadier area. If you put it straight into uh, even relatively bright dappled light, you want to put it in the shadiest uh, situation that you possibly can outside. It is always several times uh, brighter outdoors than it is indoors. Um, and that is a good way to ruin the nice benefit of all that extra sun out light is to roast your plants before they have a chance to adapt. It usually takes about one to two weeks of slowly moving it from those deeper shade to a slightly brighter area. I thank you very much, Aaron. Have a good day. All right. Thank you, Jane. That's Aaron Lynn Vogel. He's answering your questions today, including this one from Delilah. And Delilah, you are on KMOX. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Hello. I'm cu curious to know how you feel about Dame's Rocket. Is it a flower or is it a weed? Uh, well, that would depend on whether you want it or not. If you don't <laughs> want it, it is a weed. If you want it, uh, then it is a plant. Um, as far as 
me, I don't have any super strong opinions one way or the other. There are uh, plenty of things that people classify as weeds that are perfectly edible or have pretty little flowers, so I do give that strictly to the opinion market. Huh. So, so what do you think? You, you, is it a weed or is it a plant to you? I've never seen it before. However, I saw a ditch full at uh, west of Neoga, Illinois, and it's absolutely incredibly beautiful. Hmm. What's it look like? I'm not familiar with it, I don't think. A dame's rocket is about two and a half feet tall, and at the top of the uh, stem is about 10 clumps of bright pink violet flowers. And given a ditch full, it's absolutely gorgeous. Hmm. I would call that a flower if it were in my garden. Sounds pretty to me. The only thing that I would double check, as I said, I am not super familiar with it, is to make sure that it's not invasive. Sometimes pretty flowers filling up ditches can be invasive, but as I haven't heard of that one, it probably isn't that big of a problem, but I would just double check that one thing before you go and spread it around. Okay. Thank you. All right. Some good advice. Yeah, we went around last year when we were expanding our garden, and Sue would see, my wife Sue would see things along the side of the road and say, get out and dig up some of that. Get out and dig up some of that. So now we've got these and I guess they're they're just native flowers, was what we call them, uh, and they could be considered weeds. But right now, especially, they look great. They're beautiful. They're either some of them have a little kind of a mauve color to them. Some a lot of them are yellow. And I guess the the key, if you don't want them to spread and take over, would be what harvest them or get rid of them before they have a chance to flower. As, or to seed? Yeah, as seed? soon as those petals start to fade, uh, that's a great way to control them. You can either mow them or just remove those individual flowers. Um, but, yeah, if you are concerned about something going to seed, just as soon as you start to see those first uh, couple of petals fall to whack it at that point, you know you don't have to worry about any seed that season. All right, that's what we'll be doing. I add that to my, my jobs list in the garden. 436-7900-1800-925 are the numbers to call. Now, Aaron, we mentioned earlier that you interned at Disney World in Florida, right? Correct. Yeah, I did a uh, several different internship programs. I did uh, four total, spending about two years down there off and on. So what do, I mean, Disney is just a beautiful place, the way they take care of it and the way the, the flowers are such a big part of it. What were some of the, the, the outstanding things that you learned down there that, you know, the things that really stand out in your mind that you learned down there? Yeah. Uh, so I did have just a fantastic time working down there. As a plant nerd, they really do just put in an immense amount of effort to set the scene with the landscaping down there. My first internship was specifically at uh, Epcot. So if you're not familiar with Epcot, they have the World Showcase, which has different, you know, countries from all around the world, from Japan, Morocco, uh, the United States, Italy. And they actually uh, took the time and the effort to actually study the landscape styles from those different areas. So, as again, as a plant geek, it was really incredible to just be able to go to this Japanese-themed garden and see these plants that they would be using in those kinds of situations to, like, an Italian terrace garden with uh, tons of different, you know, genuine terracotta uh, planters and things like that. So I really learned a lot about style from different areas. Um, and then also a couple of the other internships that I did was with the Living with the Land as well as a restaurant called Golden Oak, um, which both created produce to be used on the ground, specifically at Golden Oak. They used it uh, in the restaurant that we were growing at. 
So that really kind of got me sparked in my interest in edible landscaping and just edibles and vegetable gardening in general. It really opened up my eyes to just, one, how beautiful they were with the background and ornamentals. Uh, actually, speaking of weeds, I like to let some of my brassicas and things like that bolt because I think the flowers are just astonishingly beautiful on them. Mm -hmm. You know, a head of broccoli is a flower head, and when that opens up, it's all just flowers on the inside of those little green uh, dumplings. But that was a lot of what I did down there and kind of took away from it was just the vast different amounts of styles and all of the delicious things out there that are available to eat. That's pretty neat. You get to work on the different plants from around the world in one place. That's a, that's a great experience. It's 829 and we have calls lined up. We'll get to those in just a moment. 436-7900-1800-925-1120. The number you're listening to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline on KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Mike Miller enjoying this Saturday off. I'm Brian Kelly, and our guest this morning is Aaron Lynn Vogel. Once again, he oversees the Horticulture Answer Service at the Missouri Botanical Garden. And this morning, he is here to answer your questions on KMOX 436-7900-1800-925-1120. The numbers to call, and Darren has called one of those numbers, and he is now live with Aaron on KMOX. Good morning, Darren. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Uh, yeah, it's great weather for gardening, that's for sure. Um, so I have a question. Actually, I actually have two questions if you have time for it, but the main question I have is, I bought two Coosa dogwoods about, um, I think it's about 13 years ago or so. Uh, I planted both of them. They both fully grown, wonderful, wonderful trees, but they've never bloomed. And I don't understand um, what I can do. I've tried feeding them water and doing, doing different things with them, but they have never put out a flower, neither one of them. Do you have any insight on that? And, and the second one is my, I have a hillside of uh, daylilies that's been invaded by crown vetch. And so the only thing I can think of to do at this point is to dig up the lilies and use the broad-spectrum herbicide. But are there other options I have in that situation? Yeah, uh, you would definitely want to check the labels, but you do have some good news in that the crown vetch is a broadleaf weed and the daylilies are uh, closer to grasses. So you might be able to use a selective broadleaf herbicide in there as opposed to needing to completely wipe out everything and digging out the plants. Uh, you do want to make sure that any chemical that you use is labeled for use around ornamental uh, monocots uh, or grassy leaf things. But uh, there, there is some hope in the market to be able to find something like that. Fantastic. And then as far as the Coosa dogwood goes, the first question that I have is, uh, do you prune it regularly? And if so, what time of year do you prune it? I actually have never pruned it. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, that's the number one thing that causes issue with those is people pruning them towards the end of the year, cuts off all of the buds. Mm -hmm. How much light are they getting? Um, one's getting what I what you said said earlier, you said like bright dappled um, shade, and the other one's getting about uh, four hours of direct sunlight a day, something like that. Yeah, so that is the other thing that I would say that could possibly screw them up. Um, but both of those, I mean, you should at least have one flower if you've literally had no flowers under those types of conditions. Uh, yeah. You also said that you fertilize them regularly. When you're fertilizing them, what are you doing with it? I just use the general general um, tree fertilizer. I've tried the stakes. So over the years, I've tried different things, of course, um, to spread out the granules. I've tried the stakes. I've, I've tried different things. Somebody had suggested that maybe they're not getting enough, enough water or something along that line, perhaps. But, That's so possible. 
Uh, what I was going to say with the fertilizers is actually putting too much, especially if you're putting too much nitrogen down, that can actually impact their uh, total amount of flowering. Basically, they say, I'm in such a beautiful, lush environment. Why would I waste my time making flowers to make babies if I could just make myself as big as possible? Um, oh. But if, if you are following the directions for the fertilizer, and it sounds like by the way that you were switching around, especially switching to spikes and things like that, um, yeah. those are kind of the three things that I would check on. Uh, okay. general advice on anything when you aren't quite sure what's going on and it, you know there's nothing seriously jumping out to you uh, is uh -huh. to get a soil test done. You never know if there is just some weird little micronutrient or something like that that is preventing it from you know being able to form flowers properly. So I would uh -huh. recommend getting a soil test through the University of Missouri Extension Agency to see if um, there's just any weird little thing missing from it that that could help with. Okay, perfect. Thank now, you. Now, Darren, you're calling from the east side, right? I am. Okay. University of Illinois would be the place yeah. to go, I think. Yeah, I'm sure that the Illini will take care of you there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Darren, thanks for calling. Thank you. Take care. And let's go to Peggy now. Peggy, you are next up with Aaron Lynn Vogel on the Garden Hotline. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, we have some uh, iris that bloom. They were beautiful, and they have since died off. But we have some new growth on the same stem. Should we cut off the uh, the dead stuff in order for the new stuff to grow, or does do we leave it until it all dies, or what? Yeah, if you've got sad leaves, you can trim those out of there and make room for new growth to come through. It's also a great idea to remove those flower heads. Um, basically, once those blooms start to blade, they blooms start to fade, they start producing seed. Any seed that it is producing is going to take that energy away from those roots and those leaves and stems. Um, and so you can just divert that energy more into the overall health of the plant as opposed to future health of seeds. So deadheading them and trimming up any ratty looking leaves is a great thing to do to improve their health. Okay, great. And I have one more question. We uh, planted grass seed a while back, and it's starting to grow. Now, it's not as high as our regular grass, and our regular grass is getting high. Is it okay to go ahead and mow, or should we just wait until it gets to the height we want? It's only about an inch tall. How long ago did you plant it? Uh, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. If you have any uh, large specific patches where it's mostly only that new grass, I would try grass. I would try to avoid that spot specifically. If it's interspersed in the rest of it and you need to mow the rest of it, I would just go ahead and mow it now. Uh, if you have a riding mower, I would recommend trying to be as light as possible. A push mower is much better. Just kind of walk with light feet and make sure it wasn't recently uh, watered just so that you're not compressing any of the soil or anything around those new baby seedlings. But you should be okay to mow it. Just avoid large patches of only that new baby grass seed. Sure. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Thank you. Thank Welcome. you, Peggy. And let's go to Tommy now. Tommy, you are on with Aaron Lynn Vogel. Yes, uh, good morning. Um, earlier you were talking about um, beautiful wildflowers or, or weeds. Uh, I'm not sure quite the difference there, I guess, whether they're invasive or not. But um, along the roadways now and uh, in the woods, when I was hunting uh, morel mushrooms, I, I noticed a, a beautiful um, uh, yellowish, bright yellow um, flower that uh, is probably about a foot and a half to two feet tall with um, stalks of um, of, uh, you know, yellow flowers that are probably 8 to 10 inches. Um, they seem to be invasive, but um, they're really beautiful. Could you identify those? Is that a type of mustard or something like that, wild mustard maybe? If I had to guess, it is probably a species of Pacara, 
P-A-C-K-E-R-A. Uh, there are several native varieties of Pacra, uh, especially you may have noticed them more recently in fields, uh, especially in no-till productions. We've started to see it a lot more in fields out in Illinois. Um, but those are kind of the most common uh, yellow leaf flowers that you'll see popping up in different areas. They they have a really unique looking leaf. It's almost kind of like an oak leaf and how that it has little lobes going around it. But if you're seeing that, it is probably some variety of Pacara, which is a native plant. Is that is there a common name for that? I've never heard of that. Uh, oh, it's got a bunch of really ugly common names like <laughs> ragwort and round leaf groundsel and things like that. Um, uh, butterweed, I think, is another uh one that they call one of the varieties of Pacara. The butterweed is the one that you most uh, frequently see around agricultural areas. Okay, very good. Thanks so much. I'm wondering, if that's what... I'm wondering if that's what we have in our yard now, because it sounds very familiar, and we found uh, we found it in the along the roadways of, of Illinois as well. Mary has called in to join us here at 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. She's on with Aaron. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Hello. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, uh, Aaron. Glad to hear uh, an interesting voice here. I have a uh, comment about uh, Dame's Rocket. I think maybe you'd become familiar with it if you knew the name. I think the Latin name is Hespera. Anyway, here in St. Louis County, it's more of a purple color. Anyway, it's very nice. My question is... How can I get Siberian iris to proliferate? I have a clump that doesn't seem to do very well. So if you've had that clump for a long time, sometimes it does help to divide them. They really are much more of a clumper than they are a spreader. Uh, so every three to five years, it is recommended to dig up and hand separate uh, really any type of iris. Also, the Siberian iris specifically, they really like wet conditions, so if you don't water them, uh, water them a little bit more often, and even if you do water them, uh, they can really survive on like pond edges and areas like that. So a little bit more moisture may help, as well as uh, assisting in their dividing and spreading them. Um, and then do you put the rhizomes a little bit above the soil like you do German iris? Uh, yes, very similar. Uh, they'll have a much smaller rhizome, but similar planting situation. Well, that's what I'm hoping will be the answer. Thank you so much. You're Bye. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling, Mary. We appreciate the call here on uh, the Garden Hotline. 844 is our time. And before we go to another break, let's check in with Sue. Sue, you are on KMOX. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I live in Oakville, and... We have uh, a pin oak in our backyard, as every pin oak, I believe, and I know in my subdivision, has those skulls on them. And this year, we have more galls than what we have leaves. And I'm just wondering, is my tree dying? So as I said earlier in the show, the any times those galls, if there's only a few of them, they're usually not a big problem. Uh, however, if you're seeing a whole lot of them, they tend to infest thickened trees more often. Uh, we have a lot of limestone in this area, so most of the health issues that we see have an issue with the pH not being low enough in the soil for them to uptake all of the nutrients that they need to. And this typically uh, starts to manifest itself in an older tree, 
uh, as it is starting to decline. So I would highly recommend getting a soil test to see if you're having any issues with those and then get an ISA certified arborist to evaluate the tree to see if um, it is worth saving and everything of that nature to see if they have any pruning or anything like that that could help you kind of stabilize and promote the health of the tree. Gotcha. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, thank you very much for the call, Sue. We have a couple of calls online. We will get to those in just a moment. We're at 845. On this Saturday morning, it's 72 degrees. It's going to be 86 later on today, so we'll keep you up to date on that as well. 436-7900-1800-925-1120. The numbers are called to talk to Aaron Lynn Vogel here on the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline on KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Ten minutes until nine o'clock on this Saturday morning. You're going, that's not Mike Miller. No, it's not. It's Brian Kelly, and I am filling in for Mike in a way today. I am answering your calls and then handing them over to Aaron Lynn Vogel. He is at the Missouri Botanical Garden. He oversees the Horticulture Answer Service, and he's here to answer your calls at your service on KMOX today. And the next call he's going to take is from Frank. And Frank, good morning, and welcome to KMOX. Yes, good morning. Morning. Uh, listen, my wife wants to go to Begonia, and a few weeks ago, uh, listening to Mike, he mentioned that uh, there is a variety with a, a stockier, uh, more supportive stem for the flowers. Uh, so as opposed to laying on the ground and tying them up, this particular variety is uh, more conducive to, you know, being stronger in that regard but i don't remember the uh the hybrid or uh the particular one he was referring to gotcha uh so are you talking about begonias as a house plant or begonias in the landscape uh in the landscape mm-hmm. Yes, so uh, they have been doing some truly astounding things with the wax begonias in particular as far as what uh, does well outside. I would really say that most of the modern wax begonias uh, that I have come across, uh, Ball Seed is a great place to check out if you want to see some of the more recent uh, cultivars that are coming out. Uh, I think it's got a long, complicated name, something like XL Chocolate Viking or something like that is one that I've had some great success uh, the All-American Selections, AAS, is another great place to check out if you want to see kind of some of the latest and greatest uh, cultivars that are out on the market. I know uh, the Viking one in particular was an AAS, and um, they've just got tons and tons of good ones to look out and check out. But as far as wax begonias go, yeah, most of the modern ones are tremendous improvements over some of the older varieties, and I don't think you can really go wrong uh, with the newer genetics. Well, I mean, with that, with that having been said, I mean, I could get any one, and everybody loves the fragrance and the blooms, but uh, the wax begonia, uh, I'm, he was kind of specific about a, uh, and maybe it was a, just a generic uh, wax begonia he was speaking of, but he said the stems are much sturdier, and the flowers, you, you know, they won't fall, they you don't have to tie them up. So I, I guess that's we're both on the same page with my question. Uh, I guess I am not sure if I'm on the same page with your uh, 
question there. Like I said, if, if you are just looking for the kind of best cultivars that are available on the market right now, I would check out the AAS selections. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And maybe I misconstrued uh, uh, what I heard. And so I do appreciate your time and thanks very much. Yeah, You're welcome. And full disclosure, I did not listen to what was going on last week. So I unfortunately have no idea what Mike said. Referred to, yes. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you. Thank All right. you again. Thank you very much, Frank, and Mike will be back next week, and uh, he can talk to you again if you would like. Rebecca, we have time to take your call before the top of the hour news here on the Garden Hotline. What you got for us this morning? Thank you. I appreciate your helpfulness of your show, um, and I'll talk fast, but I have a three-year-old peach tree. Last year it did amazingly well, and this spring the first leaves that popped out are like curled and wrinkled and so I looked it up and it said something about a copper fungicide and I don't know what I did wrong now the new leaves that are coming are perfectly normal so there's wrinkled leaves and then new leaves yeah so there is a fungal disease known as peach leaf curl that does uh, it's the most common disease of peaches in our area it is typically only a spring disease so if you're only noticing a little bit of it in the spring and then it is going away you probably don't need to do anything at all if it ends up becoming a big problem in your landscape you can look at using a fungicide in early spring to help prevent that um but like i said if you are only noticing a little bit and it's going away there's not really anything that you need to do it's just a part of the environment Something that can help is just making sure that your tree in general has good air circulation. You don't have a whole lot of crisscrossing branches that are staying wet. Um, that air circulation just kind of helps provide a nice dry environment that those fungal diseases do not like. Uh, that and removing the leaves from the base of the tree in fall and raking them away or destroying them. Uh, sometimes you can have little bits of fungus and spores and things like that overwinter on those, and just removing those leaves from the equation is a good way to keep disease levels low. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank, thank you. you very much, Rebecca. Appreciate the call, and you can join us here at 436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. In just about a minute or so, we will go to CBS News and Get the latest news from the KMOX newsroom, and then we'll be back for the second hour of the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Aaron Lynn Vogel. Again, he oversees the Horticulture Answer Service at the Missouri Botanical Garden, and uh, he is answering your questions this morning. And Aaron, we have about 30 seconds here, but that cold snap that we had a, a couple of weeks ago, that has affected a lot of things and, and things that may look unhealthy right now. I guess just uh, be patient with a lot of them. Yep. Yeah, there is not really anything you can do to speed up the uh, recovery of freeze damage. The best thing that you can do is any of those trees that uh, got freeze damage are going to tap into their stored energy to send out another flush of leaves. So just treat your trees well over the course of this year so that they can rebuild that store of energy that they had to tap into. Make sure that you are watering them in drought. Put a nice two to four inch layer of mulch around the root zone if you don't do that typically and get a soil test to see if there are any fertilizers missing. But don't put down fertilizers unless you have that soil test. Excess fertilizers can actually mess with the healing process as well. Good advice from Aaron Lynn Vogel. And again, he'll be taking your calls again here in just a few moments. This is the Garden Hotline on KMOX. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. 
And I'm Brian Kelly, taking off my hat with the press logo on it. Put that down and put on my gardening gloves. And I am here with Aaron Lynn Vogel. He oversees the Horticulture Answer Service at the Missouri Botanical Garden. And we are sitting in for Mike Miller this morning. And we are here to take your calls and talk about gardening. What a great time of year. Isn't this wonderful? It seems like... Aaron, everything just kind of explodes. You kind of start seeing the green popping up, some of the plants turning green, the perennials, and then boom, you've got buds everywhere, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's a really gorgeous time to be a gardener this time of year. I've noticed that a lot of my uh, black-eyed Susans and uh, purple cone flowers and all of that look like they're just about to start blooming. I actually had a weird... uh, cactus at work that I planted a couple of years ago. It just had its first bloom ever a couple of days oh, ago. Sweet. So yeah, it's a absolutely gorgeous time to be outside and looking around at all of the change that's going on in the seasons. Every day you walk out and there's a flower. There's a flower. Didn't see that one yesterday. And there it is. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Let's go to the phones. Ray has been waiting a while. Ray, we appreciate that. We appreciate your call. You are on with Aaron Lynn Vogel. Yes, sir. Um, good morning. Good afternoon now. <laughs> um, I wonder how one does locate a certified tree arborist. Uh, the listings are all these uh, tree services that cut trees, and, and I need someone who has more knowledge than that. Yeah, so the uh, ISA, or the International Society of Arboriculture, actually makes it very easy for you to do. They keep a, an index of all of the certified arborists through them. If you go to their website, treesaregood.org. They actually have a big button in the middle of the page that says find an arborist. You can plug in your zip code from there and it'll pull up a list of all of these certified arborists in the area. That is extremely helpful to me. Thank you so much. You're Outstanding. Welcome. So what's that address again? Yeah, that is treesaregood.org. That's easy to remember. like that one. All right, let's go to Anna. Anna, you are on with Aaron on KMOX. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm hoping you can help me identify a plant or a weed that is popping up in my uh, pasta garden. Um, it looks like a coneflower, but I've never had coneflowers anywhere in that area. Uh, I wondered if it might be something like uh, hound's tongue. Uh, I didn't know if that's common in the Peoria area, Illinois. Yes, yeah, so I am not immediately familiar with anything that would remind me of purple coneflower. There's a couple different types of red clover or something like that that uh, would be possible to mix up. Unfortunately, it is very difficult to ID plants without actually seeing them, especially when uh, you're kind of looking for finer tunes. If uh, you want to send an email to uh, the Horticulture Answer Service at Missouri Botanical Garden, you are more than welcome to send a photo to plantinfo at mobot.org, and uh, we can take a look at your weeds and see if we can get an ID for you there. Okay. Uh, do you have time for another question? Sure. sure. Okay. I, um, I have uh, a trellis in a mostly shady area that I'd like to be able to put a plant to. Um, uh, my preference would be a perennial how well do uh, clematis thrive or live in a mostly shady area? Or do you have another suggestion? Yeah, clematis can do fairly well in a mostly shady area. You will have the best blooms, especially if you're going with like a red-colored variety. Sometimes the colors just aren't as bright and they'll be more of a faded purple or something like that. And the total number of blooms will be decreased if it's in the shade. 
That being said, they can still grow and thrive in there. They just will not be quite as bloom-filled as if they were growing in the sun. Another thing to check out is uh, hydrangea vines. Um, there are two different types of hydrangea vines. Both of them do well in the shade. Uh, they're a little bit slower growers as well, so they're pretty good and manageable if you want to put them on a trellis. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. You too. Enjoy your garden. Let's go to Lauren now. Lauren, you are on K- KMOX with Aaron. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I live in a newish subdivision out in St. Louis County with a lot of common ground. And we have had ginkgos there for, say, four or five years. And um, we've noticed that each year it looks like these young ginkgos start to bud and then the buds fall off and then they rebud. And right now um, um, they're just, I mean, the leaves are starting to grow, but it, it, it kind of looks, the tree to me looks like it should be back in, in like March or April instead of almost June. Um, is this a particular variety, or is there a problem with our ginkgos? Every ginkgo looks like this, so I assume they're all the same variety. So this probably has to do with that frost that uh, we mentioned, that late frost that we had in April really set back a whole lot of trees. Uh, they roasted their new growth, and so they basically needed right. to recover but from the, that. And this send... has happened before this year. So, so this isn't the only year this has happened. So for this year in particular, I do know that ginkgos have been reported to have that specific issue. So there may be something else going with it. If it's a common area and they're planted in grass, grass will actually compete in the root zone. Also, it does just take a a lot of time for trees to establish themselves. Um, Four years in the grand scheme of a tree is a relatively short period of time. And just depending on the overall quality of care given to them in a common area, that could just be impacting the amount of speed. As far as this year goes, though, uh, this year they are specifically slow because of the frost. Okay, thank you very much. All right, thank you for the call, Lauren. 436-7900-1800-925-1120. The numbers to get on the air with Aaron Lynn Vogel. Among those dialing those numbers is Jan. Jan, welcome to the program. Um, Yes, thank you. I have uh, in my yard a row of burning bush. Uh, There's a trail next to it, so it's kind of in a long line, and it screens the trail. And then at the end, and that was here when we bought the house, and then at the end, um, I planted a service berry, um, kind of to define the space in my yard, and it's sort of like the period on the end of an exclamation point, if you get the placement of it. Well, the um, burning bush is kind of now growing toward the service berry, Um, And actually, the leaves at the end of the row are kind of touching parts of the service berry. So my question is, is it a little too close? Should I trim back the service berry? I'm I'm sorry, trim back the burning bush because I have had the service berry has struggled a little bit over the last three years. This is the best year it's ever looked. Um, Do I have to worry about this is my question. 
Yeah, if they are getting close enough that they are starting to touch, I would trim up those burning bush. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes a little bit of uh, pruning just for structural and things like that can help encourage right. growth on the service berry. Um, but if I had to choose one of the two to whack at really hard, I would right. whack at that burning the bush. The burning bush, for sure. And if I have to maybe take out a little bit of the burning bush, just take it out of the ground, what would be the optimal separation, would you say, between? And my service berry is like a clump form, you know, so it kind of grows outward. Um, what would be the best separation if I wanted to take out some of the burning bush, maybe? So it would depend on the exact variety of, uh, like like you were saying, the exact variety of service berry and the exact type mm, of geonimus that you have. Um, if it is a bush-forming one, I would probably imagine giving it... Uh, Oh, most of them get to somewhere between 10 to 15 foot wide. If you have right. a 10-foot spacing, that should be pretty ample for you to pretty judge good. from there. Okay. All right. And okay. So that would well, be from the center of the tree to the center of the bush. The center of the... Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's helpful. All right. Thank you very much right. for the call. Thank Again, you. the numbers to call, 436-7900-1800-925-1120. It is 9.15. We have... 73 degrees downtown at the Gateway Arch, heading for a high of 86 today. Good day to get out and do some gardening. More advice coming up from the Garden Hotline next. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. 20 minutes after 9 o'clock now on this Saturday morning, and Aaron Lynn Vogel is here to take your questions. I'm Brian Kelly. I'm here to answer the phone, and we're going to talk about gardening. Isn't it great? I just love this time of year, and apparently you do too because we have a lot of callers. Let's get right to them. We're going to start with Sue, and Sue, you are on with Aaron Lynn Vogel. Hi, Aaron. I have a question. I have two China holly bushes that are under five years old, and they were doing really well. And one of them this year, it's like something has stripped the leaves off of one side of it. Yes, yeah, so there are uh, certain diseases that can do that to holly. Unfortunately, the precise one is escaping me. Some good things that you can do. I do believe it's a fungal, fungal disease. If you look up fungal diseases of holly, a couple of things that are important in the management. Uh, holly, like Specifically acidic soil, they're kind of like blueberries or azaleas, so I would absolutely recommend uh, getting a soil test to see if you need to acidify your soil at all. Uh, that's kind of one of those things that healthy plants don't get sick, and so just by making the soil as healthy as possible for your plants, that'll reduce incidence of disease. Also, if uh, it's been in the ground for a while and you've noticed that it's got a lot of uh, crisscrossing branches and things like that and a really dense habit on the inside, going through and clipping out some of that really dense foliage to make it a little bit more airy on the inside will help. Um, if memory serves me right on this one, uh, it is more of a seasonal disease, uh, so I would definitely rake away any of the leaves that have dropped down at the bottom of the plant this year. Um, keep an eye on the overall health of the plant. Like I said, do those couple of steps to uh, improve the overall health of the situation that it's growing in. Um, and if it continues to proceed in future years, that's when I would really look at using a fungicide or if it uh, gets progressively worse in this year. Okay, thank you so much. All right, thank you very much, Sue. Let's go to Bob now. Bob, we are at your service on KMOX. Well, hey there. Good morning. Uh, I've got a tree. It's, uh, it's an oak tree, and it's got gall. Is there anything that you can do to get rid of that? 
Actually, uh, very similar to the vein of the last collar. Uh, that gall is made out of the wood of that tree, so you can't actually remove those galls through any way other than pruning. If you have a whole lot of those galls, though, that is typically a sign that something is wrong with your tree. I'd highly recommend getting a soil test done to check out. Uh, pin oaks are actually just like those hollies as well. They prefer that acidic soil that we just do not tend to have a whole lot of in this area. Um, so I would get a soil test done, have it evaluated by an arborist just to see if it is worth putting the effort into saving it, um, or if there is okay. just anything in general you can do to improve the health of the tree. But in our area, that usually means putting in a little bit of acidifier, seeing if you're missing any types of fertilizer in the soil, um, and then just kind of doing a little bit of pruning to remove any of that uh, most precarious dead wood. Okay. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Bob, and good okay. luck with that. Sure Let's enough. go to uh, Merrill. Merrill, you are on KMOX with Aaron Lynn Vogel from the Missouri Botanical Garden. Uh, good morning, Aaron. I have a hydrangea that I've had for quite some time, uh, six or seven years. The last two years that it has had the uh, black spots on it, which I treated with uh, hydrogen peroxide and water. Now, my hydrangea has come back better than it's ever been. It's expanded about 10 inches. And I, I want to know if there's a preventative, uh, if, there's, if there's anything I can do to prevent the um, disease from coming back. So that seems to be the uh, theme of the hour with these couple of diseases that we're having here. So uh, very similar. Again, it's best to make sure that you're keeping those leaves as dry as possible. So if you are watering them, uh, try to make sure that you're not very specifically hitting those leaves. Also going in and doing a little bit of pruning to improve the air circulation, kind of make sure that things aren't competing for the same uh, space. It's these dense, humid conditions that end up having the most disease proliferate inside of them. Uh, that, and at the end of the season, when the leaves fall, make sure that you are raking away and removing as much of that leaf uh, material as possible. Disease is uh, one of the times that you really want to make sure that you are not leaving them either in your compost piles or right around the base of your plants. It is best to rake, bag, and remove them as opposed to leaving them right around the plant because then when water hits those leaves, it can splash back up into the new leaves and respread that disease. Okay. Okay, other than that, well, I've already cleaned out, but what would you prune out? The center? Uh, so, yeah, the way that I kind of like to think about it is if you imagine your hand with your fingers all pressed together, uh, you can see that, you know, the way that it's set up that way, no light is going to be getting into the side of those things. You're not going to have air going through your fingers really easily, but if you get rid of your ring finger and your index finger, then you have nice gaps in between all of those. Everything is able to have that breeze move through without being super uh, dense. But so really what you're what trying about, to do is decrease the overall density. Okay. What about the, the uh, at the base of the bush that uh, the uh, stems are laying on the ground? Should those be cut back? I do also like to cut those back just because it's a little bit easier to, again, just the more contact you have with the ground, the more opportunities there are for critters and diseases and things like that to clip up. So I do like to clip off everything that is directly touching the ground. That also makes it easier to put in some mulch. A uh, nice layer of mulch is also good to just, again, increase the overall health of the tree. Mulch releases a slow trickle of organic fertilizer as it breaks down. It helps keep water inside of the soil, and it helps keep away those weeds. So it's uh, another great thing to just overall improve the good quality of the growing condition for the plant. Great. Well, thanks, Aaron. 
Thank you very much for the call. And now with the mulch, you want to keep that uh, away from the the trunk, right? You don't want to, because sometimes I see where they pile up the mulch up on the trunk. That's not good, is it? Correct. So you want to think donut, not volcano. Those mulch volcanoes where it is stacked up along the side of the trunk is horrible for it. That gives it a situation where it's basically artificially planted deep, which can cause all kinds of issues with planting your trees too deep. Uh, So as long as it is not directly touching the trunk, uh, you should be fine, but yep, even if it is just like a two-inch circle going all the way around the outside of it, that is all the distance that you need. As long as it is not directly touching, you are fine. Donut instead of volcano. That's a great way to remember that. Let's go to Bert. Bert, you are on the Garden Hotline on KMOX. Hello. Hello. Yes. Two questions, if I might. Thanks for taking the call. What makes the compost so much more beneficial than, say, a mulch of sawdust. Is it the soil microbiology, or is it the fertilizers? So pure sawdust in and of itself can run into a lot of issues just because it's uh, not very complete. Um, it's It doesn't have a whole lot going on the inside of it. It's what's in compost known as a brown ingredient. So you don't want to put on, all only brown ingredients in. Um, As far as wood mulch, wood mulch has kind of gotten a bad rap in recent history, which I don't fully understand. Uh, There was a period where people were using like a lot of recycled pallets and things like that. And uh, some people did run into issues with pallets that were treated with chemicals. And I think that really just kind of set people into a frenzy of thinking that all wood mulch was evil. Uh, Wood chips make an excellent slow release fertilizer. Again, you can just put on that two to four inches per year, uh, and it is a fantastic slow drip of nutrients as those wood mulch and things like that slowly break down. The only time you really run into issues with using a wood mulch is if you mix it directly into the soil. Since it takes uh, longer to break down, the bacteria that do the breaking down can break down compost really, really fast because it's nice and a fine material. So you don't have uh, long-term issues with that, but when it's a wood mulch and it breaks down slower, it can tie up the nitrogen in the soil because basically the bacteria that's breaking down that wood mulch ends up using some of that nitrogen. Everything uses nitrogen. Uh, But so you kind of have a boom and bust period occasionally if you work wood mulch into the soil. But if you're applying it to the surface, uh, it really doesn't matter. At the garden, we use leaves, we use wood chips, uh, we use a mix of the both of them. As long as you're putting on a good solid bit of organic matter, it will do. uh, It'll improve the soil, release fertilizer for your plants and all kinds of other bonus As far as my wild plum trees go, five of the ten have got bulbs. Are the five that are non-budding, are they goners? So when you say uh, non-budding, it has not sent out any leaves at all this year? They're not showing no growth whatsoever, no buds. So that is definitely not a good sign for the health of the tree at this point in the year. It is possible that it was impacted by the frost. How old are these trees that you're talking about? Well, they're about, I've I've had them healed in about two weeks. And I've got to go ahead and drive 100 miles. And I want to know whether I'm going to take five or ten. Gotcha. So if, um... So you're planting a bare root tree, is that it? Bare root, right. Yeah, so it, it's uh, possible, especially if they were kept, kept in refrigeration or something like that, depending on how they were stored, it's entirely possible that they would not have leafed out because they were in kind of an artificial containment or something like that. Um, but that would depend on just a lot of where exactly you were getting them from. But if it 
it is very possible for people to be selling bare root leafless stock at this point in the year. That being said, it is getting pretty late for it. Um, and I would personally, if you have the choice between getting one that is leafed out and one that hasn't leafed out, I would get one that leafed out. But I'm not sure if I fully understand your question. You know, I have a very distinct feeling people are not very wise with respect to the effect of bacteria, fungi, acidomites, and protozoa. I would say that there are a lot of different things going on in the microbiome that people do not fully understand. That's kind of one of those more things that I have definitely, the more I have learned, the more I have uh, found out that cultivating good soil really is the key to cultivating good plants. And there are tons of little fungi and mycorrhizae and things like that in the soil that the happier you make them, the happier plants will be as well. Uh, Professor Albright out of the University of Missouri Agriculture, big proponent of the soils on up into the human being. Translocations, transfers, whatever, with respect to the elements that are applied to soil microbiology is probably the key to really a long of individuals. Yeah, they've done uh, all kinds of research that shows interaction with the soil directly on your hands. There are things in that that can transfer to you, and you are what you eat, quite literally. And I would not be surprised at all that that has a lot to do with the flora in our gut and all of those little things that crawl over our screen that are good for us. So you're saying I ought to take those five wild plum trees and go ahead and dry that under miles with them and put them in the ground? If you received them from a refrigerated, uh, some kind of cold storage bare root stock, then yes, I would say so. However, if they have been outside for any long period of time and they have not leafed out uh, whatsoever yet, then I would think it probably is a dead stick at that point. So you keep them refrigerated, huh? Yes. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Bert. And that's why we feel good when we're out gardening. Get all dirty, get the dirt on your hands. Under your nails there, and you're, you're doing good not just for the plant, but for yourself. So good stuff. It's 933-436-7900-1800-925-1120. The number's the call. We'll get to your calls after this on the Garden Hotline. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. 38 is our time. This is Brian Kelly. I am in for Mike Miller this morning. Well, not really... Aaron Lynn Vogel is in for Mike Miller. He is, once again, uh, oversees the Horticulture Answer Service at the Missouri Botanical Garden. So this is what he does for a living, like Mike. And so he's here to help you out with your gardening questions here on this Saturday morning as you get ready to, to head on out. Suzanne is one of those who has a question this morning. And Suzanne, you are on with Aaron. Oh, good morning. I I wanted to comment. Um, the lady who called about the ginkgos, it's been my experience with growing them that they leaf out late, and they, they do look a little sickly at first, but then they're fine. So, you know, I just kind of wanted to give her reassurance that those ginkgos are probably just fine. They, they're they just leafing out late like they usually do. Aaron, you agree? Yep. Somebody else confirmed that with us. <laughs> okay. All right, we have multiple right. sources now. We can go with that story. Very good. All right, Suzanne, thank, <laughs> thank you so you. much. Let's go to Donna. Donna, you are up next here on At Your Service, the Garden Hotline. Thank you. Hi, Aaron. Um, I purchased a Jubilation Gardenia 
uh, about two months ago. It's about a foot tall. I placed it in the ground. I thought I did everything right. Well, after time, the leaves started changing to a yellow and then a beige, and they dropped like crazy. Um, I noticed then, too, the ground seemed a little too moist. I took it out of the ground. I put it in a container, and I mixed the soil in the container. I got this information off the Internet, mixing one part each of potting mix, cow manure, compost, and topsoil. Um, I, I filled the pot halfway, put some fertilizer in, as they said, and then I put the plate, placed the plant in there. Um, and uh, right now it appears that the I have about one-fifth of this plant with a few leaves that are left on the, on the uh, branches. Um, I really didn't want to put it in a pot, but I thought I'm going to try to save it. I, I really, really wanted to keep this plant. Should I fertilize it some more on the top? Should I put more manure on it? I went and bought a meter to check the soil pH. The pH is about 6 uh, right now. I don't know if that's what it was or what. But anyway, can you give me some direction what I should do with this, this plant? So uh, the first thing that I would like to point out to you is that gardenias are not cold hardy here and they will not survive in the ground over winter. They have a couple varieties of gardenia that they say are supposed to be uh, cold hardy down to zone six, but I have never seen any of them actually survive so far. Um, but so that uh, gardenias in our area are something that needs to be grown in a pot and uh, brought inside at the end of the year. Um, when was it that you said you planted it outside? Oh, I guess it was about two months ago, right early spring. Okay, so actually probably what happened with yours is that um, it got zapped by that cold also, depending on how uh, how much of a No, it was location. past that point. I didn't have it out there at that time. Two months ago? Well, then it, it, was, it wasn't two months, but it was it was following that real cold. No, I, I had it in the pot uh, on my patio before I, um, that cold spell. Okay, so probably the last week of April or something like that. that yeah, yeah, more likely. Okay, um, so yeah, any time that you transplant a plant, gardenias are also just, uh, as far as plants go, they are one of the more finicky ones. Um, in terms of the potting soil that you said, uh, so, so I guess anyways, long story short, I think that that is, at the beginning, what happened is just transplant plant issues, gardenias tend to freak out whenever they change their situation, especially if it was put uh, directly into full sun and it was in a shadier spot before or vice versa. Both of those can cause them to freak out and defoliate heavily. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as to the potting container situation that you said, it sounds like it is nice and full of all kinds of fertilizer in there. I would not put any other fertilizer in there. Mm -hmm. At this point, I would just kind of try to coast with it. I would definitely uh, be sure to keep an eye on the moisture in that pot. Uh, you may run into issues with it being too wet. Uh, you typically don't want to put too much topsoil immediately into a container. Uh, topsoils are just much, much heavier. They actually have like the clay and silt particles and stuff like that as opposed to a generic potting mix. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, we use potting mix in pots for a reason. It is much lighter, airier, doesn't get as soggy. Uh, roots and things like that can move in it more evenly, and you don't really worry about uh, if you have a container with a lot of topsoil in it, you run into more issues with, like, the bottom still being wet while the top dries out and things of that mm -hmm. nature. Um, mm -hmm. So I would just keep an eye on that. I know you said you didn't use a whole lot of topsoil. 
Um, but for the most part, I think you are just wanting to kind of get him to coast and stabilize at this point. I would stop messing with stuff and try to get him stabilized to a situation as opposed to constantly switching of what he's trying to adapt to. Okay, being in a container, water-wise, okay, I have a water meter. Right now it still says moist. Um, I read, too, that uh, to water a gardenia, normally that's about twice a week. But I guess, uh, how moist do I want to keep it? Uh, what kind of a moisture meter? Does it go on a 1 to 4 or 1 to 10? Like, what kind of a scale does it give you? Oh, it's it's just uh, a gauge of, um, well, let's see, I got this at the store just the other day. You know, it just uh, gives you mid-range to the extreme right or to the extreme left. Okay, so uh, wait until it's almost completely dried, not so dry that it starts to wilt, but you want it to let the pot dry out almost entirely. Oh. Uh, the kind of what I like to say is that the best time to water a plant is five minutes before it starts to wilt. Um, oh. But, yeah, okay. so let it uh, dry out almost completely. It's important that roots go through a process of drying it out. Uh, during oh. the heat of the summer, it probably is a good recommendation to be watering it about twice a week, uh, but for right now, especially when it's cloudy, um, <laughs> Once a week may be enough, but just monitor it and let it dry out completely uh, before you water it again. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Donna. That's good to know because uh, I think I probably tend to overwater sometimes. But let it get pretty dry or real dry before you you go ahead and uh, give it a little drink. Huh? Good to know. All right, 945, that is Aaron Lynn Vogel, and we'll continue with the Garden Hotline in just a few moments here on KMOX. 436-7900-1800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. We're 10 minutes until 10 o'clock here on the Garden Hotline. I'm Brian Kelly and for Mike Miller today and our expert, Aaron Lynn Vogel, who oversees the Horticulture Answer Service at the Missouri Botanical Garden. We have calls waiting, and let's get right to the first one in line. Gary, you are up next with Aaron Lynn Vogel. Yes, good morning, and thanks for taking my call. I have a perfusion uh, crab apple, and uh, earlier this spring, I sprayed it with horticulture oil, and uh, the next day, a shower blew up, and uh, I don't know how well or how good the effective it was, but... Um, it, what I'm seeing on it, I think it looks like leaf rust, and uh, it's dropping its leaves now, where it's turning brown, some of the leaves. Uh, but the tree is 27 years old. I didn't think it was that old, but I was looking at the, the receipt for it. And uh, I noticed it's been shooting up roots from the ground, and I've been whacking them off, thinking, well, that's taking energy from the tree. But if I'm going to lose this tree... I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about leaving one of them that's about three foot tall, continue to grow. Or can I salvage this tree? Or can I spray it with a, a herbicide or something? I mean, a um, fungicide, excuse me. Yes. So I would probably recommend you going out and uh, getting into contact with a professional arborist to evaluate the tree. They have better access to chemicals as well as just uh, good equipment to kind of actually get up there and properly apply it. So any of those horticultural soaps or oils or anything like that, um, every once in a while they're beneficial for uh, fungal diseases and things like that. But for the most part, they are a contact killer for insects. So uh, a typical oil would not have any impact on uh, fungal diseases. There are some specific instances like neem oil taken from the neem tree, which has some extra impacts 
on helping prevent funguses and other diseases. Uh, however, if you're starting to have a big thing like fire, bite, fire blight or a rust disease, you're probably going to want to have slightly bigger guns than a horticultural uh, oil, and I would recommend having a professional evaluate it, make sure the disease is identified properly so you have the best means of control. Okay. What, uh, what should I do with those shoot? Well, I guess before I whack them shoots off, get somebody here and look at this. But what's the average age for one of these trees? I don't even, I mean, it's not all that big. I mean, it's maybe 20 foot tall and a uh, four or five inch trunk on it. Yep. So the age of any of these trees can vary widely. I think for most crab apples, I would say if you have a tree that lasted about 25, 35 years, you got your money's worth out of it. Now they can last much longer than that, but uh, especially in our area, they do just tend to get more and more diseases uh, as they age. As far as I know you were talking about your interest in trying to train one of those suckers into a tree to keep, one thing that I would just be generally aware of that is a lot of times, uh, especially with apples, they'll have a different root stock than the above pretty ground part. So they'll choose something that has, you know, it's resistant to a soil-borne disease or something like that. Uh, and they'll choose that for the root stock and then they'll put the pretty part up on the top. But so if you train the sucker from the root stock, it'll be the same type of tree as that root stock and it will not look the same as your nice big pretty tree for whatever reason the top part was selected. So I, I would just double check mm -hmm. to see if you have any kind of a grafted tree, which is very common on crab apples. What is? Uh, just having a grafted root stock. Oh, okay. I understand, yeah. I've drafted things and didn't turn out to be the tree that or the plant that uh, it was. Yep, so the, I would just be generally aware of that if you do end up trying to train one of those suckers up. But, uh, yeah, it's, an, it's entirely possible to do, um, but it just probably will not be exactly the same as the uh, tree that you are familiar with. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you very much. That was helpful. Do you know where uh, I could find them? And I'm in Madison County in Collinsville, uh, where you can find an arborist or one you could recommend, or how would I go about it? If you go to treesaregood.org, that is the ISA's website, the International Society of Arboriculture, and they you can plug in your zip code on their website and find an arborist from there. Okay, thank you. That's very helpful. All right, thank you day. very much, Gary. Thank you, and you have a great day, too. Cameron is now on with Aaron on the Garden Hotline. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for taking my call. I have a ruby ball cactus, and the stem is yellowed and squishy. What can I do to make it, like, healthy again? So that is not a good sign, unfortunately. When cactus have diseases of the root system, um, it, it, it basically cuts them in half. So I would try, if you can, look up uh, wet rot on cactuses for the most detailed look at it. Basically, what you need to do is take the cactus up out of the ground, remove as much of that squishy area as possible, and cut back on the cactus to a spot where it uh, no longer has that squish. Uh, once you get to that part, you can dip it in sulfur to kind of help remove any of the disease that is for sure causing it, if it is a disease associated with it. Um, the other most common thing that causes this root rot in the first place is just overwatering the cactus, so I would be sure that it is in a nice bright spot, that it is not staying too wet for too long. Um, sometimes if it is just a little bit squishy at the bottom, you can just remove that little bit of squish, but if the squish has really kind of invaded the entire cactus, that's when you need to really cut it in half, uh, let that bottom part of it cure, and then try and get it to re-root. But it, it is very not good for the cactus uh, and its chances for survival if the entire root area is squishy. 
Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Cameron. We have a, just a short amount of time for Jim. Can you make it quick, sir? Yes. Hi. Good morning. I've got some arborvitae I put in three years ago. And when I was transplanting them last fall, I noticed there were two kind of main trunk branches coming up that uh, were twisted on two of them. I don't know if that's something they did at the nursery. It didn't seem natural. So I untwisted them and now they're kind of separated towards the top, if you know what I mean. So I didn't know if if I should have undone that or left them twisted. Yeah, so uh, sometimes they'll be intentionally tied together to stop, like, winter damage weight from snow and things like that, but it is best to untie them and kind of let them free f- be free-moving, let the wind move their stems, the strengthens their stems, and uh, stops them from falling over. If it does not have... Uh, if it is particularly floppy, I would just prune some of the weight off of them. You just kind of generally go through and remove some of that weight so it's a little bit more upright if you're having issues with that. But keep them tied up in the winter if they fall over, but let them free in the summer. Great. Thank All you right, so much. Jim, thank you, thank you very much for the call. You have a great day. Aaron Lynn Vogel has been our fill-in expert today. Again, he's a Articulture Answer Service uh, Overseer at the Botanical Garden. In 10 seconds, can you tell us if we have questions how to get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can uh, either... Send us an email to plantinfo at mobot.org or shamefully. I do not have the phone number memorized off the top of my head just yet, but you can find that on our website. All right, Aaron. Enjoyed being with you this morning. Thanks so much. Thanks to the callers. Have a great Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.